Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, this is what the Bible records. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As we dive into the scriptures together this morning as a community, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you delight in us. We thank you that whatever we came in here with this morning, uh, that you desire to reveal yourself to us. So we ask, Holy Spirit, Father God, Lord Jesus, that we would encounter your presence in this place. We thank you that as we go to your word, you desire to speak to us. So we ask that you would. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight? Would you make your word come alive to us right here in these moments together? We love you, we praise you, and we give you all of the glory. In your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said, amen. So Jesus tells this story uh, to some people who trusted that they were righteous and in turn treated others like they were worthless. Uh, and I will gladly admit to you this morning and be the first to admit that Jesus, he's telling this story to me. Uh, that my heart swells with the battle of believing I am righteous and in turn that I get to decide who is worthy of love and who is not. Maybe you can relate. Maybe somewhere in all of our hearts there's a tension that wages war trying to deny us the love we're supposed to receive and confuse us and cripple us so we never share the love that we're called to give. That no matter who we are in here this morning, at some point or another, this story has been us. I mean, really imagine this illustration that Jesus gives. Two men go to the temple to pray, and verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. How often do we sound like that? How often are our eyes fixed on other people's sin? So we compare ourselves to them, hoping to feel better about us. But the worst part about this moment, the real worst part about this story that Jesus describes, the worst part of all of it is that the Pharisee is the one who claims to know God, who claims to know the God who created and absolutely loves humanity. That the Pharisee is the one who claims, no, I know the heart of the Father the absolute most. And I mean, could you imagine that today? Someone who claims to know Jesus who claims Christianity, but then sounds like this in the streets or in their prayers? Sounds like, wow, have you heard about them, God? I mean, jeez, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not like them. I'm squeaky clean. I'm way better than everybody else. I mean, but, but like, bless their heart. But I mean, God, like, thank you that I'm not like those cheaters, Whew. those swindlers, those crooks. I know how to check my religion boxes, so we're good to go. Bless their heart, God. So grateful I'm not like them. And if we really peel back the layers, 
And we just got like brutally honest as a community. That's us a lot of the times. That what we have claimed has not really changed our hearts. But here's the awesome part. Here's the, here's the good news. Here's the encouragement and, and the absolute joy of it all. Jesus knows that. The Lord God who created us and loves us and delights in it. He knows that. So we don't need to hide it. We don't need to feel shameful in it. We don't need to run from it. Because Jesus, he tells us this story to show us a way out. To show us a real heart that is pleasing to the Heavenly Father. To show you and I what really, truly stirs the heart of the Lord God who absolutely loves us. That we don't need to pretend to have it all together. That we don't need to sound prideful or or self-righteous in order to earn our way to love. That yes, we might sound like this Pharisee from time to time, but Jesus, oh, he's so quick. He is so quick to show us and share with us what a heart of deep devotion sounds like and looks like. Verse 13, for the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the sinner... The outcast, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was just found crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus, he tells us this story because he desperately wants us to know that in our self-righteousness, we are actually only missing out on the Heavenly Father's heart for us. That somewhere along the way, we started to believe the lie that we have to be better than others to come to God. That their belovedness takes away from our belovedness. That we better act the part, that we better go on in our own strength. That somewhere along the way, the gospel stopped being how we got saved. And we swapped it out for self. We swapped it out for cheap and lousy religious games. When the depths and the reality of the gospel, it declares that we have need. And the answer to that need is the perfect love of the living God. So why would we try to hide like we don't need it? Is it shame? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it self? Or is it just because we simply, we don't really know the heart of the Heavenly Father? We don't know the voice of the one who calls us beloved. Jesus is showing us, don't you see? What pleases the heart of the Heavenly Father is not scrambling about trying to earn this love. What pleases the heart of the Heavenly Father is to give His beloved's mercy. So why would we stop crying out for it? If the best place to be in the story is next to the man on his knees declaring his need and crying out for mercy, why wouldn't we find ourselves right next to him? Do we know the Father's heart? Do we know that he delights to love us? Have we forgotten how much we need this mercy, this grace, this perfect love of Jesus? Have we forgotten that God, he's not looking for a display of our strength. He's looking for undivided devotion. That he would rather us be weak, but set apart as his beloveds, than be strong and void of living in holy devotion to him. His power is made perfect in weakness, remember? The Bible says that he gives a spirit without measure, remember? That the love of the living God has been poured into our hearts by Christ Jesus. So why would we be afraid of being needy? Why would we be so unwilling to ask for mercy? Why would we try to hide? Like our lives are perfect when Jesus desires to step into the mess of it all. That the gospel declares the truth of our need and the response of it is perfect love. 
That's the heavenly father's heart towards all of humanity. Full stop. He loves to love us. And if we claim to know that, if we claim to know that like the Pharisee in this story does, and we don't look like it, what are we doing? That if we claim Jesus, we should be living in response to this incredible mercy that we have been given. Not ashamed of our need, but crying out for mercy and rejoicing in the truth that Jesus delights to give it to us. So that others would come alongside and be delighted in the truth that the Lord God wants to give it to them too. This past week, Alyssa and I, we got the incredible gift to go to a free trip to Hawaii. Okay, don't judge me. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't ask for it. Okay? It just happened to me. All right? I know that my face is glowing like the sun. Okay? It's fine. But we got the gift to go there and it was amazing. We got to hang out with all these other church planners and it was a blast. We learned a ton. We got to abide in Jesus. It was super refreshing. But while we were there, I got the gift to meet this wrinkly old man. And he was wonderful. I mean, this guy was like seasoned by the sun. Like if he like scratched his head, like just salt just came out. It was awesome. He like sneezed and you thought it was the Holy Spirit. It was wonderful. Like this guy was amazing. But he told us a story of how he had been handing out meals to people all over the island who were in need. That he'd been doing it for years through his church community. And he loved it. He was consumed with joy because of it. Because those meals, they were delivered to his dad when he didn't have any food. They saved his life. He got introduced to the gospel through them. He was tangibly found receiving mercy. And now, this salty, seasoned, sun-kissed man is living in response to it. That he's not ashamed of the mercy his family was shown. He's not ashamed of the mercy his God extended towards him. He's not ashamed of the gospel that changed everything about his life. That he's not ashamed of his need. For every single one of them was met in the perfect love of his God. And now, he won't let anything stop him from sharing it with anyone and everyone who is willing to declare their need alongside him. That he's living in response to it. He's like the tax collector in the story who cried out for mercy and went home justified because the heavenly father loves this man's heart because the culture of the kingdom of God is upside down. It's not the absence of our need that makes us worthy. It's the presence of Jesus who claims us and calls us beloved. Are we living in response to the heavenly father's love for us? Are we found so hungry for mercy and so aware of our need that our prayers are drenched with a cry for the Spirit? Are we moving and working and set on fire with this love of Jesus? Are we found on our knees crying out for mercy, beating our chest because we know we are sinners, but the Savior has saved us? Has it changed us? And are we doing something about it? Are our lives tangibly handing out mercy to people? Or are we found just like the Pharisee in this story, because it's a lot more comfortable claiming to know the Father's heart, but acting nothing like it. Because, you know, Christian religion without Christian love is ultimately just noise. And man, oh man, we do not need more noise. We desperately need the love of the Lord God poured into our hearts as we receive his mercy. And Jesus, he gives us mercy. He loves to love us, not so that we would walk around and go, wow, I'm so glad I'm not like him. No, he does it 
so we could tell the story of how the perfect love of God healed and set free a sinner like me. And that my sin and my story don't define me, but my Savior does. Jesus tells this story of a tax collector and Pharisee to put on full display just how okay it is that you and I are in desperate need. Just how okay it is that our lives are so brutally imperfect. Just how okay it is that we need the Heavenly Father's love and we cannot go a moment without it. That all throughout the Gospel accounts, Jesus never rebukes a sinner. Did you know that? He never rebukes a sinner. He rebukes the self-righteous and religious. But he invites the sinner to turn from their sin and come and follow him. But he never rebukes them. He just desires to give them mercy. And then just about every time in the gospel accounts when a sinner repents and receives mercy and comes alive in Jesus, guess what they do? They go and tell everyone about the mercy that they have just received. Because they got a glimpse of the Heavenly Father's heart. They caught a glimpse of the Heavenly Father's heart and it bubbled over inside of them and it set a fire in them so much so that they decided to confess their sin, receive mercy and grace and invite others to come and do the same. That they had been found, shown in living in the truth that what they had been shown far outweighs being found out. Because when they were found out by Jesus, his response was mercy. Do you know that about you this morning? Do you know that about every nook and cranny of your story today? That if you were to be found out by the Lord God Almighty, His only response to you is mercy, is grace, is perfect love. To move you to see a glimpse of the Heavenly Father's heart. So that as it becomes alive in us, it might become alive in other people. That you and I, we're called, we have a mandate from heaven that as a community, we should reflect this. So the question should be, how do we then? How do we live in response to it? What is the secret sauce? What is required to be like the tax collector in this story? This story in Luke 18, it mirrors another passage of Scripture. It's found in Psalm 24. In Psalm 24, the Bible records, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? So right here, the psalm is declaring that the Lord God claims the earth as his own. He created it and formed it. Holy and perfect beyond measure. And because of that, who could possibly ascend the hill of the Lord? Who could stand in the temple? Who could dare be in the holy place? That much like the tax collector in this story, not even looking towards heaven, so aware of God's holiness and so willing to cry out for mercy from him. This psalm echoes that same glory and that same awe and wonder. Who could ascend the hill? Who could be in the temple? What kind of heart is pleasing to the Father? How do we as a community reflect Jesus' love? What is required? What did the tax collector carry that we must have if we want to represent the love of the Heavenly Father? That if you and I want to put a dent in the darkness and partner with Jesus in the kingdom of God that is here and now, how do we do it? What must we have with us? Next verse. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Or put another way. Clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in self but in the perfect love of the Savior. And what happens if a community has clean hands and a pure heart? 
What happens if you and I collectively cry out for mercy and receive clean hands and a pure heart? Next verse. They will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of their salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the Lord our God. Clean hands and a pure heart. That is what is pleasing to the Heavenly Father. That if you and I, we want signs and wonders, if we want this church to be known for a love that actually looks like Jesus, to be filled to the brim with the Spirit that He gives without measure, if we want to be used by the Lord God Almighty, have our lives marked by Him, if we want people to come alive in their belovedness all over this city, we must be people who have clean hands and a pure heart. We must be people who have clean hands and a pure heart. So how do we get there? That is so unattainable. Clean hands? Pure heart? How? When we were in Hawaii, we were staying at this hotel. It was awesome. But have you ever, like, washed your body with the hotel fragrances? Worst mistake of your life. Like, I'm a very smelly person, like a very smelly, sensitive person. Like, my nostrils, they're nice. But if I pick up a scent that I don't like, it destroys my whole day. And this scent... In this bathroom that I used in this hotel, it was mango. But it wasn't like the mango that you desire to eat mango. It was a mango that was like, this is not really mango. Like, this is, this is bad. Like, this is so bad. And I pumped the shampoo of the hotel thing, and I was like, washing my hair. I was like, oh my gosh, what does that smell like? This is horrendous. Like, I am not enjoying this. And then I like pumped some more to try to get it out. Like, I was, like, trying to wash away what I had just put on my body. And then I, like, reach for the body wash, and I pump that, and it smells just like the shampoo. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I reek right now. And the worst part about it, I had to spend the whole rest of the day just reeking like a little shriveled up mango. And it was horrible. Like, I was, it was just, it was making me sick. I did not enjoy it at all. But that's us, isn't it? You and I, we try to wash ourselves clean. We try to clean ourselves up. We try to make ourselves smell better, look better, act better. That you and I collectively, we start trying to clean ourselves and we only end up dirtier. The pain only lingers longer. The more and more we try to do it in self, the worse and worse it gets. The more you and I just find ourselves helpless, hopeless. That what are we to do now? That's us. Trying to use secondary sources to make ourselves clean. To wash us from sin. To get healed or get whole or to get that ache in our heart to go away. We just end up smelling worse. Just more painful in the end. Clean hands and a pure heart? How do we get there? My strength doesn't seem to be working. My secondary sources aren't cutting it. The smell of the soap is strong, but not enough to cut my dirty hands and wicked heart. What are we supposed to do? Jesus, tell us what that looks like. Give us an example. Show us how. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, you want to know how to have a clean hands and pure heart? You want to be a community that reflects the love of the Heavenly Father? It's right there. My mercy. Declaring our need for his love and his mercy. Let my mercy overwhelm your heart. So that the only thing that spills out is love for humanity. Let my mercy overwhelm your heart and constantly remind you that you were saved by my grace. That what has healed you is my love. That you are my beloved and so are they. 
So the role of the body of Christ, the church, is to cry out for mercy so that we'd never be found living in pride. So that we'd never be found living in self-righteousness in our hearts. Because we don't have to anymore. We've got nothing to prove. For in our cry for mercy, we've been giving pure hands or clean hands and a pure heart. And what does the psalm say is the reward of such people? They will receive blessing from the Lord. Righteousness from the God of their salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the Lord our God. Wait a minute. So all that is required to be aware of our need and cry out for mercy in it, and He delights to answer? Yeah. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God is not looking for a display of our strength. He's looking for undivided devotion. And when you and I catch a glimpse of the Father's heart, when you and I remember that our need is no surprise to Him, that He delights to love us, that His mercy is ours for the receiving, all of a sudden, the only thing that makes sense now is to live in response to it. To live in response and receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of our salvation. To live in response to it and stop at nothing until we share it with the whosoever we come in contact with in all of our ordinary moments. To be like the seasoned, sun, salty man who stops at nothing until everybody in his neighborhood is fed. Not just with food, but with the gospel that changes everything about everything. This psalm goes on and the next verse declares, So wake up, you living gateways. Lift up your heads, you doorways of eternity. Welcome the King of glory, for He is about to come through you. You ask, who is the King of glory? Yahweh, armed, ready for battle. Yahweh, invincible in every way. So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. Swing wide all of heaven. This psalm is declaring to you and I that when we receive mercy, when we are given clean hands and a pure heart, guess what we become? We become doorways for people to see the heart of the Father. We become doorways for people to come onto the path of Jesus and come alive in their belovedness right along with us. That our lives are now filled to the brim with the Spirit as we have received mercy. And we best be ready because the psalm declares that we are to welcome the King of glory for He is about to come through us. You and I, common and ordinary, imperfect people, because a community that has clean hands and a pure heart can be used by the Lord God in miraculous ways. Because it's not about us anymore. Because we've decided that we have nothing to prove. That our hearts have been made whole by the Savior of them. That they are pleasing to Him. So when we see people now, we don't say things like, Woo! Man, I'm so glad I'm not like them! No! When we see them now, because we have nothing to prove. We look at them and all we long for humanity to know is that they are the beloveds right alongside us. That all of heaven is swinging wide to welcome humanity into the love of the Heavenly Father. The psalm says, so wake up you living gateways. Heaven is swinging wide. Ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. Because when we do, all of heaven is on the move. All of heaven is coming to earth because common and ordinary people are crying out for mercy. You see, what is common, what we all have in common, 
is a broken heart. What you and I all have in common in this room is a broken heart. What we all have in common is a burden that we are carrying. That if I was to ask you right now, what's your burden? What's your burden that you're carrying? All of us could easily reply. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your aging parents. Maybe it's work that's just got you feeling chaotic. Maybe it's a friend group that you keep trying to fit into. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a sin that you just can't seem to shake. All of us, brokenhearted with a burden. And so often with those broken hearts and burdens, we try to go in our own strength. Thinking that if we ever, possibly even for a moment, showed a crack that we're in need, that the Heavenly Father and community, we'd be disapproved of so quick. When in fact the exact opposite is true. That the Father's heart for you is one of absolute love and delight. But we must live in the truth that God is not looking for a display of our strength. He is looking for undivided devotion. And that devotion begins not in our perfection. It begins with our cry for mercy. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you that you delight to love us. Father God, we thank you that you delight to give us mercy. We thank you that Whatever broken heart and burden that we are carrying right now, it's not too big for you. It's not too small for you. That it's not insignificant because we are the most significant thing in your eyes. We ask right now that all of heaven would swing wide. That we would be overwhelmed with your presence. And that we would be found, even if just for a moment glimpsing your heart. That we would get on our knees and cry out for mercy. And find the truth that it's completely okay with you. That we are in need. I ask right here and right now in these next few minutes and moments that Holy Spirit, you would move in such power that walls would begin to come down. That hearts would begin to soften. That we would come alive in the truth of your perfect love. That we would stop putting a display on of our strength and instead declare that we are weak and as a community together cry out for mercy so that we could be given clean hands and a pure heart, so that other people around us could come alive in the truth of their belovedness. We love you. We want your presence. And we give you all the glory. In your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said, Amen.